Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Back in the 80s, my Aunt Kay was in her early 20s. This was before she married my uncle and when she would drive long distances back and forth between her parents and my uncles to visit. It was a bit of a transitional period for them. He had just graduated and she hadn't moved out yet to be with him. It was a long drive too across several states through the desert which took her hours to do. And this desolate highway would have stretches of road that lasted hundreds of miles where you quite often wouldn't see another driver, let alone a gas station. So, Aunt Kay set out, and she began one of these journeys. A couple of hours into the drive, Aunt Kay noticed a dark vehicle slowly catching up to her. She barely noticed, though, as she continued to sing along to Les Mis, until the vehicle got aggressively close. She turned off the music and looked into her rearview mirror, seeing the vehicle flash its brights and a hand pointing at her car and motioning to pull over. Alarmed, she quickly slowed down and began to look for a good place to pull off the road to see what was wrong with her car. The second that she began to pull off the road, though, she said that she felt and heard a, as clear as day, don't pull over. Then again, stronger, don't pull over. Call it God, or intuition, or just a gut feeling, whatever, but a jolt of adrenaline and fear shot through Aunt Kay's body as she hit the gas and peeled back out onto the highway. And heart pumping, Aunt Kay silently asked herself what the heck that was as she saw the vehicle peel out behind her. The dark vehicle continued to closely follow, flashed their brights, and motioned her to pull over and stuff, and fear and confusion set in as Aunt Kay began to question what the heck was going on. Why was the driver motioning for her to pull over like this? Was there something wrong with her car? And what was that warning that she felt? It would have been a severe situation if her car broke down out there, that's for sure, especially before cell phones, but she chose to press on. Just as her resolve wavered, she started questioning if she truly did feel what she felt. And in fact, she even started slowing down when the dark vehicle picked up speed. It entered into the oncoming traffic lane, in fact, and came level to my aunt's car. The driver smiled, pointed, motioned, and mouthed the words, pull over to my aunt. 
She said, though, that the second that she looked into this guy's eyes, she felt pure evil. She felt a horrible sick feeling in the pit of her stomach and again heard the words in her head, don't pull over. She described him looking scary, greasy, and noticed that he was missing a couple of teeth in his smile that she'll never forget. That obviously sent chills through her, and this quickly dispelled any thoughts that she had of pulling over, and she put the pedal to the metal to try to lose him quickly. And he chased after her. She slowed down, he slowed down. She sped up, he sped up. It got to the point that he began to try and push her car off the road in the end. Aunt Kay was to the point of tears as this creep continued to terrorize her alone out in the middle of nowhere. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, Aunt Kay sees a couple of semis off in the distance. She felt if only she could get close or even get in between these trucks, she would be safe, so she took off. He continued to flash his lights, honk his horn and tried to hit her car until she got close enough to the trucks and... As she got in between them, she saw the dark vehicle slow way down and eventually disappear from view. She stayed with the trucks for a couple of hours until she felt safe enough to pull over at a gas station and just cry. Fast forward several years now, my aunt and uncle are married. He's working at a law firm as a high-profile criminal prosecutor in Las Vegas. She's now a full-time mom of several young children and since I've known my aunt, she's been obsessed with true crime. Dateline, 2020, and Unsolved Mysteries were always playing in their house. But this day, this day was different. She was folding laundry in the kitchen while listening to the TV in the other room. The interviewer was talking about a man who was being interviewed on death row. As she paired another match of socks, she heard the man describe one of his tactics for procuring victims. According to him... He would wait along the side of the highway. A car would go by with a family and he would wait. Another car with a male driver would go by and he would wait again. But every so often a car would go by with a pretty woman driving alone. So I would pull out behind them and follow him. I'd flash my brights, honk and motion for him to pull over. And Aunt Kay, upon hearing this, paralyzed but continued to listen. When they would eventually pull over, I'd tell them to pop the hood and I'd be able to tell them what was wrong with their car. They would and I would yank a couple of wires. When the car wouldn't start, I would tell them no problems. My buddy has a shop in the next town. I can give you a ride and he'll give you a fair deal. Upon hearing this, my aunt slowly moved into the living room. They would get in and then I would rape and kill them, bury them anywhere in the desert. When asked how many times he did this, he responded, They'll never find all the bodies. I can't even count them. And how many got away? Two or three. My aunt stood there, alone, staring into the same toothless grin that she saw on that highway that day. And it was Henry Lee Lucas. This happened to one of my friends. He and two of his buddies decided to go camping one weekend in the Uinta Mountains, UT. They wanted to go out in the middle of nowhere to really get away from civilization and just chill and fish and stuff like that. All three of them are pretty outdoorsy and experienced with camping and backpacking, so this was really no big deal for them. They went up the trailhead, hiked about half a mile up the trail... And then they turned off and just hiked for about four miles away from their original position. 
They had little trail markers so they wouldn't get lost coming back. They find a spot and there's no sign of anyone around. The ground looks pretty much untouched by humans and there was also a brook close by so they decided that this was a good place to set up camp. All three of them had camping hammocks so they set those up in the trees and then just kind of explored around for a bit before they decided to build a fire and eat and all that stuff. Eventually the evening rolled around so they built a fire and made tinfoil dinners and were just sort of shooting the breeze. When they decided to go to bed, the guy who told me this said that he remembered laying in his sleeping bag in his hammock, thinking that even though there was the sound of water in the brook close by, and every now and then there would be insect noises or whatever, the woods were just really quiet that night. Like, being out of civilization made him realize just how rarely we as humans experience real silence, since we all fill our days with so many noises and distractions. He said that it felt eerie in fact. He could feel himself starting to doze off when the worst thing in the world happened to him. He had to pee when already being comfy and warm. He figured that he would rip the band-aid off and just go and pee before he fell asleep for the night. He put on his headlamp, got out of his hammock and walked about 30 feet away from his buddies in their hammocks to pee. But when he was walking over, he thought that he saw something dart out of sight, unnaturally quick, and heard a sort of crack of a branch. But because they were so far out in the wilderness, near a brook, he didn't think too much of it. He unzipped, did his business, and then, right when he was zipping his pants back up, his headlamp shone on something on the ground that paralyzed him instantly. Because a few feet away from where he was peeing were unmistakably fresh human footprints on the ground. It had rained in the mountains the day before so the earth was soft in some areas and there was no doubt in his mind that these were not only human footprints but whoever made the footprints was definitely barefoot. But the creepiest thing was that the footprints, they weren't staggered, they were side by side facing where these guys were camping. It was as though someone was just standing still at the edge of their camping spot in total darkness, just watching them. Those were the only footprints my friend could see, no other prints leading to or away from the ones that he saw, but he was totally freaked out, obviously, and so he ran back to his hammock and got his knife that he always takes camping. He loudly whispers his two friends' names, but they were already asleep, so they didn't answer. He debated, too, whether he should wake them up, but... In the end, he decided against it because, well, there was no real physical threat that he could think of that would justify waking them up. He put his headlamp on a brighter setting and he shone it up in the trees and around the general area of where he had peed, but there was nothing. He didn't sleep that night, obviously, and he just laid in his hammock wide awake with his knife in his hand all night. And upon reflection, those footprints... They looked as though someone had been standing there moments before he walked up to that spot to pee. And he really felt like he and his friends were not alone. When it reached early in the morning, when the sun was just barely starting to rise, my friend decided that he was going to pick up his stuff because he was still spooked and wanted to start hiking back to their car when his friends were up. But when he was taking down his hammock, he saw another set of fresh footprints, but this time... They were like only 10 feet away from his hammock, like on the edge of the trees behind his hammock, as if someone had been standing about 10 feet away from his hammock, just 
staring at him. Again, no other footprints leading to these two footprints, but he was full on freaked out by this point, so this time he woke up his friends and showed them the footprints, and all of them got the heck out of there quickly. And I guess that the moral of this story is that sometimes you're probably not alone as you may think you are. When I was a teenager growing up in Southern California, it wasn't uncommon to hitchhike with my friends. This was way before Uber or Lyft and my friends and I actually always came out with cool stories from our experiences as nothing really bad ever happened to me, yet. But we had some basic rules for hitchhiking. I won't go over them all but the number one rule was to never get into a van. The next biggest one was never get into a vehicle with more than two guys. Southern California at the time had a ton of 18 and under clubs too that also had 18 and over within and bartenders could always tell who was of drinking age by the band on their arm. It was not hard back then too to slip off your under 18 band and slip a drinking age one on but this was the 90s after all so it wasn't strict at all. My friends and I had decided that it was time to leave though but I had told my grandparents who were raising me that I was spending the night at a friend's house. I wasn't ready to go and let my friends leave without me so when I decided to leave I admit that I had a little too much to drink and was probably visibly intoxicated at this point. We had pages back in those days too and I had paged my friend who I was staying with that night that I was headed that way. I started to walk the three to four miles to the apartment complex when a vehicle pulled up. The guy was kind of cute and my inhibitions were gone so I ignored the safety rules. The first rule ignored was that it was a van. Second rule ignored was it was a van full of guys. But me being stupid me, I crawled in anyway. As soon as the van door closed I knew that I had made a huge mistake. The cute guy summoned me to sit on his lap in the passenger seat, to which I obliged. He started groping me too and the entire vibe changed immediately. I knew that I was in trouble. I played along though and started talking about an after party with all of my hot friends, some that were models in fact, in hopes of putting their focus on something else. The driver summoned me to sit on his lap which I obliged again. He would take his hands off the wheel and when I would grab the steering wheel he would grab me inappropriately. I felt that these four guys in the van were looking for an area to take me and I knew what would happen if they found one. I then went into an elaborate story about how these parties usually went. I told of how Molly and alcohol were abundant and how they were expecting me to bring the cute guys. I played these guys to the best of my ability because I knew that my well-being counted on it. And thankfully, they took the bait. The apartment complex had a few other complexes around it with a park in the center. I had these guys pull up at a park across from the park, approximately the size of a football field from where I was actually going. I played out how much fun we were all going to have. And as soon as the van door opened, I booked it and I ran as fast as I could across the park and I could hear the guys yelling and coming after me but I was too afraid to look back and I just kept running. I hit the complex next to where I was actually going and found a stairwell that had a few bikes chained to it and I slid under the staircase. 
I could hear the guys yelling for me and getting close. I was afraid that my breathing was loud and I was convinced that they might even hear my heart beating. It was so loud in my ears, but I tucked into the fetal position and I closed my eyes tight. I guess subconsciously I just thought that if I couldn't see them, then they couldn't see me. Stupid, I know, but I tried my hardest to control my breathing and my heartbeat too. I stayed under that staircase for what seemed like hours. They never found me too, but not for lack of trying, that's for sure. I was too scared to move, and I felt like they were waiting and watching, so I was frozen. Eventually, I finally had the courage to move and carefully made my way to my friend's house where I was staying. I made it, and finally, I was safe. I never did hitch a ride from a stranger again after that. I knew just how lucky I was, and I know very well what could have happened, and I will forever be grateful that I did not become a statistic that night. Valuable lessons were learned that night. Like number one, never stay when your friends are ready to leave and always stay in a group. Two, do not allow yourself to get so altered that you throw away common sense, especially if you're alone. Three, never go against your gut feelings, no matter how attractive or nice a person may appear to be. Four, never accept a ride from strangers. Five, never place yourself in a position of being outnumbered. And six, give thanks when you're able to see the blessings that you've been given. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A lot of these posts are about men creeping out women, but this one, this one's a little different. So, this one takes place in early 2010. I was 16 years old and played lacrosse. I liked girls, but I didn't know much about flirting or anything. And one day, I was just heading home with my stuff, and a woman walked up to me and asked if I played. I told her that I did, and I was captain of my team, since I was so proud of that. And she said that it was interesting and asked me how old I was. I told her that I was 16 and she laughed and said that she was 38 years old. After this, she told me that I was cute and said that she would love to come to one of my games. 
This woman told me to take her number down several times, so I did, but I didn't plan on texting her or anything. The next day, I was talking to a teammate and I told him about the incident. He laughed and told me that I was a liar, but to prove it, I decided to text her and ask her her age again. She responded with, Baby, I'm 38. Hope I'm not too old for you. When's your next game? I didn't know what to say, so I just showed him and I didn't respond. She then double texted me and sent me a few nudes and I felt really put off by this, so... I told her that I was going to go and practice and I didn't respond. Now, later that night, she texted me asking what I was doing and if I wanted to come over. I told her that I can't because I'm doing homework, plus like my age and everything, but she told me that she would help out and show me a few things to which I said no and had a bit of a mini panic attack, but I turned my phone off and I just went to bed. A few days later, I was getting ready for my next game when I see a familiar face in the stands. I look closer and it's her. High wheels, she says. My stomach dropped. I mustered the guts though to wave back and I tried to put it to the back of my mind but I couldn't shake it. After the game, she came up to me and asked if I wanted to come over and I told her I normally shower after games and she said that I could use hers. I then told her me and some teammates were hanging out and tried to walk off, but this woman grabbed my arm and asked why I've been dodging her. She asked if I was man enough for her and said that I need to stop playing games. My coach heard and came over and asked if everything was good, to which I said no and tried to get her off of me, and my coach ended up having to restrain her while I backed away. As I'm walking away, I hear her say, whatever you say and a whole bunch of expletives, and I just felt so sick that I honestly almost vomited. After this, I had to have a meeting with my coach, my parents, and the principal of my school as well. They explained to me that this woman was wrong and should not have sent me those messages or come to my game like that. They reassured me that I did nothing wrong, which is why I didn't tell them about this sooner, and that this woman was... Nutty as a squirrel. I promised myself and my parents too that if I ever did see her again that I would press charges for stalking and for sending nudes to a minor, but I never did. Anyway, that's my story and like I said, it's not the norm, but I felt like I should share it. This is a really interesting and sort of perplexing story that is also very sad and unfortunate. So, my dad was born in Afghanistan and stayed there up until he was like 30, after which he left just before the country became radicalized. He lived in the countryside surrounded by the forest, eerie caves, and quiet mountains. In Afghanistan, the people are very wary of the jinn and they don't go out after sunset because of horrifying things that have happened to people. Even during my dad's time in Afghanistan, the people were always careful never to let their kids play out in the woods alone unless they were in a really large group of people. But my dad had a brother who was three years younger than him, making him 11 years old at the time and his name was Dean. They would often dare each other to do silly things during the night without their parents knowing, which is pretty typical for kids, right? And this particular night, my dad and his brothers had stayed up late 
and they decided to dare Dean to run into the woods behind their home, stay there for about two minutes and run back inside the home. I know this might seem simple enough, but keep in mind that they practically lived in the middle of nowhere and the stories of the djinn terrified everyone. So my uncle Dean left from the back door and entered the woods. They waited for about a minute when they suddenly heard a loud scream. My dad was in the army for four years and he's seen some pretty terrifying things, but he always says that the sound of his brother screaming will always haunt him for the rest of his life like nothing else. My dad and his brothers quickly rushed over to see Dean on the forest floor with his eyes wide open and sort of in a state of shock. They tried to get him to talk, but he couldn't for some reason. He just had tears falling out of his eyes and he was shaking. This carried on for three days and they called doctors and religious exorcists to treat him, but in the end they couldn't save him. He passed away soon after and for those three days he couldn't move, talk or eat. Nobody really knows what he saw too. Some think that it was a djinn, but the thing is is that I know my family members who have seen djinns or have been haunted by them and yes, they've been afraid, but nothing like this has ever happened to them. My dad's eyes though, they always water when he tells us this story because, well, he blames himself for what happened. So back in my early 20s, I moved into my first apartment. I quickly got a roommate and my naive self was so excited to finally be starting in on an adult life that I didn't think about it too much. Now, there were all sorts of sketchy things going on in that apartment building, from the friendly drug dealer across the hall, the frequently reported domestic violence situation going on upstairs, the fistfights in the parking lot and various other things going on, but the one that I will always remember was the creepy neighbor down the hall. How this particular building was set up too was all the apartments formed a sort of square around and above the parking garage that was on the lower level. In the center of the garage were the dumpsters so everyone could just throw their trash down from the balcony outside. It should also be noted too that everybody's kitchen windows faced out in the middle so they were right along the walkway. On more than one occasion too, creepy neighbor would lean out his kitchen window and watch my roommate and I as we were leaving. We had to walk right past him to get to the stairs and he would ask where we were going, give us creepy compliments and sometimes come up with excuses to invite us into his apartment. Like saying that he ordered too much pizza or he had some furniture that he wanted to sell that we should come and look at. Sometimes he would just stare intensely too and make you want to run past him before he could open his door or drag you through the window or something. Anyway... He also spent a lot of time every day rummaging through the dumpsters. Now, I don't have anything against dumpster diving or anything like that. Sometimes you gotta do what you need to do to survive, right? But doing it in broad daylight in front of all of your neighbors whose trash is in said dumpster is just super creepy. Eventually, too, he was evicted, but he just refused to leave. He also left a barely legible all caps handwritten note on his door saying that the landlords did not have permission to enter his apartment and hid whenever they came around. In fact, I remember seeing him dash to his door grabbing one of many notices that they had left before dashing away again to wherever he spent his days. 
I still don't know how they finally got him, but I'm pretty sure that he continued to search throughout the dumpsters even after that. I got out of there as soon as my lease ended, but I hope that he got the help that he obviously needed. But man, I will never forget just how scary that guy was to live so closely to. So this occurred in a small town in Illinois. I was 16 at the time, I'm now 28, and I didn't have much adult supervision at this time. I had spent the night at a friend's house and around noon the next day decided to walk to my boyfriend at the time's house. He lived about four miles away on the other side of town. My friend lived on the outskirts with about a half a mile of highway between her home and the official city limits. So I set out on my journey. I remember not being thrilled about the walk and lit a cigarette as I got out into the highway being careful to walk on the edge in the dirt putting about three to four feet of distance between myself and any passing vehicles as i walked i heard the distinctive sound of a car pulling up behind me though i turned to see a newer dark red suv rolling slowly until it stopped next to me the passenger side window rolled down to reveal a friendly looking old man he was all smiles to give a little bit more context to, my brother and I were raised by our single, hard-working father, with one of the core values of respect and responsiveness to the elderly. As a result, my brother and I have a major soft spot for old people, like most would for children, say. So I didn't in any way perceive this guy as a threat. Hey there, are you Anne's granddaughter? He asked. Uh, yeah, sure am, I responded. This road's pretty dangerous, you know. You wouldn't want to ride, would you? He asked me, very casually. I thought about this for only a second before I agreed. I really did feel that I would be safe with this man, especially considering that he knew my grandma, who was sort of a pillar of the community where I live. As I climbed in, I realized that I still had a lit cigarette. Uh, is it alright if I smoke in the car? Sure, he quickly answered. Okay, that's pretty cool, right? I'm obviously not an adult. I look younger than I was. And this dude's letting me smoke in his car and giving me a free ride? All because he knows my grandma? Neat, I thought. He introduced himself quickly as Danny too, and as we entered the city limits, he asked where I was headed. I told him the direction to my boyfriend's house, by Walgreens on the east end of town, and asked him if it was too far to get to, and also assured him that he could drop me off any time but he was perfectly fine. I felt good about our arrangement too, until he started talking to me about his brother. You wouldn't be smoking those things if you met my brother, you know, he suddenly said, sort of ominously. I glanced at the cigarettes and then to him to see his face suddenly stern. Uh, excuse me? I stuttered. He's dying of lung cancer. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, I blurted and immediately tossed the cigarette out the window. It was almost gone anyway, but I figured that that would be the end of it. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah, well, he's in the hospital right now. He's probably very lonely, in fact. We should go and see him. He would want to meet you, for sure. Now, I started to panic. This place that he mentioned was like several hours away from where I lived, and was this man threatening to kidnap me? Uh, I don't want to go there today, I said, trying to keep my voice calm. Maybe tomorrow? 
Yeah, sure. We can go tomorrow. But you'll have to stay tonight at my house then. I don't live in this town. And at that, I felt my stomach drop. I had to get out of this car quickly. I knew that we were getting close and I was running out of time too, but I'm not sure why. I just started yammering on about how my dad taught my brother and I to fight. I then went into a story about me getting arrested for beating up my bully. He didn't reply during these stories, but I could tell that he was thinking. As Walgreens appeared on my right, I announced firmly that he could drop me off right here. He pulled me into the parking lot and I flung that door open immediately, jumped out while the car was still moving in fact. I took the opportunity to run down the neighborhood alley and through my boyfriend's back door. Once inside, I just broke down crying. His dad went back to look for the guy, but of course, he was gone by now. Admittedly, I went on with my day after that. I tried not to let it bother me too much. That is, until I talked to my grandmother a couple of weeks later about the occurrence. She didn't recognize the description of the man, nor did she know anyone named Danny. She was, however, concerned with how he knew her. At this point, I must mention that my grandmother was chief of bailiffs at our county courthouse for like over 30 years, which meant that if he wasn't her friend, then there's really only one other option for how they cross paths. I think I was pretty lucky that day, and fate was on my side. This happened when I was born up until the point when I was nine and moved out in the early 2000s. So when I was a kid, I just lived in a pretty normal suburban British home built in the 30s. Like most interwar houses too in large British cities, it was that repetitive design which spanned an entire street, but there was just something strange about this one in particular. It just had things which to this day I haven't seen since. One encounter I kept on seeing was at night between 8pm up to before 6 or 7am when I woke up for school. I saw what I can only describe as a, a smoke or steam floating around the room every so often. This never really stopped too, it just happened for the whole nine years that I was there. And at night I saw this odd dark black shape which was even darker than the darkness of the room itself and carried this odd white thing in its hand. I think it was a knife but... I'm not too sure and it wasn't sleep paralysis as I thought it was because I can remember after I saw it running to my mum and crying out and sleeping with them. And you may be thinking, have you seen this outside of your room? Well, yeah. My sister took a photo of me with my phone and forgot what it was, but I'm sure it was an early iPhone, I think. And there was this massive black figure behind me, maybe like six or seven feet. We deleted that photo right away as my parents were very superstitious and saw taking a photo of a ghost as bad luck, as if having a ghost wasn't bad luck in the first place. But also, another minor incident that happened was after closing the door to the downstairs bathroom, I heard a loud manly scream and, I mean loud, the whole house heard it too and, though I did, I was like five so... It couldn't have been me because it was a really deep one and it wasn't my dad too because he worked long haul trucking in Europe and only came back on weekends so it was only me, my mum and my sister and the source of the screen just remained unknown. Of course you had the normal slamming doors and the lights turning off for no reason and even TVs just turning on. In fact I still have that TV but it doesn't do it anymore. 
Another really unexplained thing too was just the straight up bad luck of the house as my parents were in constant financial problems until we actually moved out. We still don't know what caused it but we might know who caused it as my dad said that one time he was doing some research and found out that there was a lady who died there in the 1920s. I was never told further than that and we did try to get it out of the local priest but to no avail. The priest actually knew us really well because of all this too. Did we try to debunk it? No, mainly though because there was just too much evidence that it was true. Sadly, there isn't any photographic or audio evidence of it, but we definitely saw things. And so we just never really tried. But I still would like to hear some of your theories if you guys would like to share. Thanks for listening. This happened about eight years ago. I was 16 and had two friends living with me so they could go to college. They were from out of town and loved the beach. I lived on the coast. The beach is a lot like a home for my mum and she used to walk on the beach and collect shells almost every day. One day we went and my mum went to a bar that was close to where we had parked so she could have a beer. About 30 minutes goes by and my mum still hasn't come back to the car so we went to check on her to make sure that she was okay. And she was acting very weird and saying things that just didn't make sense. There was a guy with her who was obviously in a biker gang, huge dude by the way, tatted everywhere, leather vest, probably like 6'5", 250 pounds. I would assume the guy thought that she was alone at the bar from the look on his face when my friends and I went to check on my mum. And I told my mum that it was time to go but she didn't want to leave this guy. She kept saying that she wasn't leaving unless he came with us. We got staff at the bar to tell her that it's time to go and that she's too drunk to drive. I didn't have a license too at the time so one of my friends had to drive. But this is where it gets really weird. So we're on our way home and my mum keeps looking at her hands and asking us why they're moving. She was moving her fingertips around so we were just telling her that she was drunk and that they're moving because she's moving them. To be honest we just didn't really think much of it. She also kept telling us though that she only had two beers. We get home and my mum gets out of the car and sits down in the driveway. There was a child riding a tricycle across the street from us and my mum said, Hey little kid, you're not old enough to have a license, you shouldn't be driving. But we thought that it was funny at the time because, well, we thought that she had just overdone it on the alcohol. We get her inside and put her in her bed and tell her to just go to sleep. We went back to my room to play some video games and chill and about 30 minutes goes by and we hear something break and my mum started screaming. It wasn't like a normal scream too, it was terrifying and just writing this gives me chills thinking about how it sounded in fact. We ran to her room and she had broken off a, a glass of water that we poured for her by her bed. When we got into her room, she stopped screaming and stared blankly at the wall, just mumbling stuff that didn't make any sense. She would uh, glance at us, but you could tell that her mind wasn't there. There was a blankness in her eyes, and her pupils were absolutely huge. I hadn't messed with drugs at all at this point, and neither had my friends, so at the time we didn't know anything. We get her to lay back down, though, and try to go to sleep. But before we left the room, she was just staring at the ceiling, moving her jaw around. We went back to my room and talked about what we were going to do. 
we started to get scared because we knew that something wasn't right. And about 10 minutes goes by and we hear the car start. My friend stayed with her at the car trying to convince her to unlock the door and give them the key. I ran down to a neighbor and asked them to help because something was wrong with my mum. She ended up backing out of the driveway and got about halfway down the street and then just slammed the brakes on. We were going to break her car windows, jump in and turn the car off but she unlocked the car thankfully, stepped out of it and then just walked home. We drove the car back to the driveway and I put the keys in my pocket. When we walked back inside, she was sitting on the edge of her bed again with a blank stare but was now kind of twitching. We went to my room again and were talking about how crazy this situation was. And about an hour goes by so we started thinking everything was calm and she was asleep until we heard breaking glass again. We went to the kitchen and she had quietly opened the dishwasher, taken frozen food out of the freezer and grabbed a pack of computer paper. She was also throwing plates at the wall and putting frozen food and computer paper into the dishwasher. And when we asked her what she was doing, she just looked over at us with a blank stare and continued what she was doing without giving us an answer. After that, we got her back into her room and I monitored her until I was sure that she went to sleep. I stayed in her room for a couple of hours and then I went to my room and I went to sleep. The next morning she called me and was freaking out instantly because she didn't remember anything and didn't even know how she got home. Apparently she had given the guy from the bar her number and he was calling her from random numbers all morning. We went to CVS and got a drug test to verify that she was actually drugged and yep, she had roofies and PCP in her system. When we called the bar to get the security footage so we could try and find out who this guy was, they told us that their security system had been broken for a long time. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.